So we've been talking about the life of Jesus Christ. The past few weeks have been very exciting. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus was put on trial for things he did not do. He was convicted as guilty, though he was innocent and he was executed. And for three days, he was buried in a tomb. But after three days, and I'm really excited to say this, Jesus came back to life and Jesus today is alive. Y'all, 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 okay? I don't know if you're catching the gravity of what's going down here, okay? Uh, Jesus, God, came to earth, died for your sins on a cross, rose again from the death, dropped kicked death in the face, breaking his jaw and laughing at death, okay? Then said, yo, Satan, you ain't taking my kids, okay? I'm taking them to heaven with me. Anybody who puts their faith in Jesus can be in heaven forever, eternally, and have glory and honor and be with heaven, be, be with heaven, be with Jesus in heaven forever, worshiping. Can I get an amen in the place? Amen! Woo! I just feel like, I don't know, like I want like a physical representation of Satan to punch in the face when I re- like talk about Jesus like that. Oh, I'm getting sweaty already. We haven't even started. Jesus is alive, okay? He is a living God that we worship. And two weeks ago, we talked about the evidence that shows that Jesus did not just die and stay dead, that he came back from the dead, and our faith is founded in that resurrection. We can have hope that we will be in heaven forever because Jesus is alive. We have that evidence. So this week, we're going to talk about another appearance where Jesus showed himself to his disciples and showed them, hey, guess what? I am alive, and he demonstrated that. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about how Jesus appeared to his disciples. They're in a locked room, and Jesus just appears in their midst. He's just there, and he's like, hey, guys, peace. And they're like, whoa, and they freak out because Jesus has teleportation powers and can appear in locked rooms because he's amazing. And he showed them that he was alive. Well, a little bit later from that time, the disciples would be on uh, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they'd be sitting around and they'd be like, hey, you know what, I want to go fishing. Peter actually said that. And the disciples were like, all right, we'll go with you. So they go fishing. They have a wonderful time fishing, except they catch nothing, so it's not that wonderful. They are coming in after fishing all night because you would actually fish at night is the way they would do it in that region. So they come in towards the morning, they caught nothing, they worked all night and have no fish to show for it. They're coming in, and they see somebody on the shore. And the man calls out, and he goes, hey, did you guys catch anything? And they're like, no, we fished all night and caught nothing. And the guy goes, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they're like, okay, guy, sure, I'm sure if I just throw my nets. And the moment they throw it into the water, a school of fish swims right into it. And we learned that 150-something fish swim into their nets and start pulling them to the side. And it's a miracle. And they're amazed. And they look to the shore. And one of the disciples says, hey, guys, that's that's Jesus on the shore. And Peter, because we all love Peter. If you've been with us, we love Peter. He's so cool and stupid sometimes, but we love him anyway. And so Peter sees Jesus on the shore, realizes it's Jesus, gets so excited that he grabs his coat, which is, why would you pick up your coat if you're going to do this next thing? And then he jumps in the water and starts swimming towards Jesus. I would have taken off my clothing, uh, not all of it, but some of it, you know, before I start swimming in the water. But he puts on his coat, then jumps in the water and starts swimming to Jesus. And the guy's like, dude, we're in a boat. Like, just wait. We could have just gone over there. But he's so excited about Jesus that he swims to shore, and he gets to shore, and this is how cool Jesus is. Guys, Jesus knows the most important meal of the day. Because it's morning, right? They've been fishing all night, and Jesus is sitting by a campfire that he made, and he's cooking bread 
and fish, and Jesus makes breakfast for the disciples. How great would it be to have Jesus make you breakfast? Like, you walk downstairs in the morning, you're like, oh, man, I'm tired. And Jesus is like, hey, what's up? One omelet? And he flips it over, and you're like, Jesus? And he's like, yeah, what's up? I put bacon, because bacon's amazing. I made it. It's great. I mean, literally, I mean, can we get an amen on bacon? Amen. All right. So Jesus is making them uh, breakfast, and so they all gather on the fire, and they have a conversation. And in particular, Peter and Jesus have a conversation. And they have a talk that we're going to talk about in just a second. But before we learn about that conversation, we need to get some background story. You know how in a movie, there'll be like a flashback where it's like, and it goes to the past, and it shows you something that makes sense when you go back to the future. And you go to the future, and then you realize, because of the past, why that uh, event is significant. So we're going to go to the past. Everybody go. So we're going to the past, and we're in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 54, Jesus, if you remember, has been arrested. He has not been killed yet, but he's on trial to be killed. And in this passage, we see Peter is watching Jesus from a distance. So again, read with me. We're in Luke chapter 22, verse um, 54. It says, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. When they had kindled uh, kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. Pause there a second. So Jesus is arrested. He's taken to be judged. And as he's being judged, Peter and all the disciples, if you remember, when he got arrested, ran. They hid for their lives because they were afraid, wait, Jesus is getting arrested. I might get arrested. And I could be killed if I'm near Jesus or they associate me even with Jesus. So the disciples run away, but Peter follows Jesus at a distance to see what's going to happen. And he follows him to the courthouse and he's outside. It's nighttime and he's warming himself by a fire. And it says that a young servant girl notices him. Now, because it says young girl, we can infer or guess that she was about the age of 13. Because usually they would start calling you a woman as you get a little bit older than 13 in that culture. So we can estimate or guess that she was about 13 years old. Now, how many girls in here are 13? Anybody? All right, so mostly girls. So imagine a girl that looks like, you know, those girls that raise their hand, okay? A middle school girl is sitting around a campfire, and she notices Peter, and she thinks he looks familiar. And she says to him, uh, this man was also with him, meaning Jesus. She's like, hey, wait a second. You look, well, actually, that's not how a middle school girl sounds. She's more like, hey, wait a second. You look like, you look like you were hanging with that Jesus guy. Like, were you with Jesus? Like, is that, do you know that Jesus guy, the one who's on trial to be murdered? And Peter gets afraid. Listen to Peter's response. It says, but he denied, saying, woman, I don't know him. Everybody go, ooh. Peter literally says, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. Peter, in this moment, is scared of a middle school girl. And he's afraid. I mean, you guys are terrifying at times. But he's afraid of a middle school girl in this time because he's afraid, like, shh, no, 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 no. I I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. I I I don't know who he is. Why is he saying that? Because he's afraid that if people realize, wait a second, you were one of Jesus' best friends, that he might get taken into the same courthouse and that he might get called on trial 
and that he could be executed with Jesus. And he's afraid. Peter is afraid of a 13-year-old girl. Not a good day. Things only get worse. Keep reading. But after a little while, another saw him and said, you are one of, you." Uh, sorry, he said, you also are of them, meaning you are one of those disciples of Jesus. Then Peter said, man, I am not. Then, after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him. He is Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are saying. Three different times people go, hey, I'm pretty sure you know that Jesus. I feel like I saw you next to him when he was healing that blind person. Or I feel like I saw you with him when he was teaching or when he fed the 5,000. And every time Peter's like, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. I never even heard his name. Stop saying that. You're lying. I don't know who he is. And every time he did it out of fear. And he sinned to deny that he even knew who God was. Imagine if you do something embarrassing. Or let's say you're getting in trouble. And you hear your friend nearby talking. And your friend says, oh, I don't even know who that guy is. How embarrassed would you feel? How hurt would you feel if your own friend would denounce even knowing your existence or knowing who you are? They're supposed to be the person who's like, hey, no, no, I know that person, and I'm friends with them. If you've got a problem with them, you've got a problem with me. But Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends in this moment, denies even knowing who Jesus is under pressure. There are Christians that at times have been threatened for their faith. And there are Christians at times who have denied being a Christian or denied believing in God in order to save their own lives. And Peter, in this moment, does just that. Let's read what happens next, and it will break your heart. Immediately, when he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And Jesus turned, or I'm sorry, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out weeping bitterly. Peter, in that moment, as a third time he's denying even knowing Jesus, hears a rooster crow. Morning is breaking. And just a few hours earlier, Jesus and him had been having a conversation. And Jesus said, listen to his disciples, guys, pretty soon all of you will desert me. And Peter says, no, Jesus, not me. Jesus, I would die for you. I would never desert you. And Jesus says, Peter, before the night is over, when the rooster crows this morning, the next day, you will deny three times and even know who I am. Jesus knew in that moment that Peter would sin against him. He knew he would abandon him in that moment. Now imagine, if you will, Denying that your friend exists in his moment of need three times. Then imagine making eye contact with that friend. Peter sees Jesus and Jesus gives him a look. And he knows in that moment that Jesus knows what he just did. Peter must have felt incredible shame. Incredible guilt. Incredible burden and embarrassment. And he was so broken over his sin that he would look at his friend Jesus and deny that he exists out of fear that he would burst into tears and begin to weep. 
Peter is broken over his sin and over his denial of Jesus. Then imagine hearing that your friend is killed, that Jesus is executed, and all the while Peter is feeling guilty and worse about himself that he let Jesus down. Now, let's flash forward, if you will, to the story. So everybody go, and flip over to John chapter 21. It's one book to the right. So start flipping to the right. One book over to John, and then go to 21 verse 15. 21 verse 15. So this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. He has died. He's come back from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples before. And again, remember that, seat with the, uh, that scene with the boat and the fish. Jesus is on the shore having breakfast with his disciples. And he has a conversation with Peter. So let's listen in, if you will, to that conversation in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Then feed my lambs. Let's pause there for a second. Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and Peter is there, and he looks to Peter. I bet if you were Peter, you'd feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you'd feel a little bit nervous of what Jesus might say to you when he says, Peter? He's like, oh man, right now he's going he's gonna to shame me. Right now he's going to expose me to all the other disciples. Because maybe they didn't know that he had denied him. Maybe even hiding that secret. Or maybe in that moment he's like, man, Jesus is going to say, Peter, I want you to leave. I have poisoned the food that I just fed you. And you will die of the food you just ate. I mean, this is literally God right next to you, right? He could look at you and be like, hey, Peter, you enjoy your right arm? Well, now it's gone. And like, ah, and your arm could just be gone. Like, this is God. He could be like, hey, Peter, it's getting a little, you smell that burning? And he goes, no. And he's like, no, but you will. Fire, and rain down fire and burn up Peter. I mean, if you're Peter, maybe you're like a little bit nervous. Like, is God just going to banish me? Or even worse, maybe Jesus just looks at him and goes, Peter, I don't want anything to do with you. You denied me three times. Well, in this moment, I deny you. Get out of my presence. I don't want you near me. This meal is for friends. You abandoned me in my time of need. But he looks at Peter, and he says, Simon, another name for Peter. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He's looking at Peter. He's like, Peter, do you love me more than everybody else? How much do you love me? And the word love in this language, because again, remember, we talked about the Bible is not just written, it's not written in English. It's written in Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. And the meaning of love in different languages has different meanings. There's different even words for love. We just have one word for love. So you'll say, I love burritos. You just like burritos. You're just saying it really like emphatically. Or you can say, I love Catherine Watson so much and I want to marry her. There's a difference in that love, okay? I hope that I love my fiancé more than burritos. That's just me, okay? If I don't, there's a problem. Okay, maybe I should marry burritos. Anyway, moving on. But what I'm saying is, in other languages, they have different words for love. So, in this language, the way in which Jesus is speaking when he says love, he's using the word agape. Everybody say agape. Agape, agape means a love that is all-giving, unceasing, unselfish, 
and is not caused. It means I love you even though you didn't do anything nice for me. I love you and it never stops no matter what. I love you and it's not because you give me something, just because I love you. And it's emphatic and it's perfect love. I agape you. And it's a perfect love. So Jesus is saying, Peter, do you agape love me? Do you love me to the highest degree possible? Do you love me? He doesn't say, are you sorry for what you did? He doesn't say, are you ever going to do it again? He just says, do you love me, Peter? Imagine if God looked at you and said, do you love me? Perfectly, selflessly, without mistake in every way. Peter responds and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But when he says love, he doesn't say agape love. He says phileo love. Everybody say phileo. Phileo love was different. Phileo was a lesser form of love than agape. Phileo love means, if you love somebody in a phileo way, it means it's a friendly affection, but it's reciprocal. It means you love me, so I love you. It's like, because you love me, I love you back. Or it's just like, yo, we're bros, we're friends, we're close, we're, we're compassionate towards one another. But it is not agape love, so it's a lesser love. So Peter's like, God, I don't agape love you. I, I, I can't, I'm not capable of that. My love for you isn't strong enough to where I feel comfortable saying it's agape. I, I'm not capable of it right now. But I phileo love you. Basically, he's like, God, you want me to love you this much? And to be honest, I'm not there. I want to be, but I'm not. I'm down here in my love for you. It's not perfect. It's flawed at times. I don't love you the way that I want to love you. He's being honest with God, which is important. But he responds... I love how he says, you know that I love you. Because he's like, you're God. You know how much I love you. Why are you even asking? But he's like, God, you know that this is how much I love you. Something happens next where Jesus says, then feed my lambs. We'll come back to that in a second. Keeps going. It says in verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And when he said love, he says agape again. Do you love me perfectly, Simon Peter? Do you love me endlessly? And he responds, and he said, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And when he responds again, he says, phileo love. He's like, God, I know you want me to love you, agape, but I just can't love that much. I'm not capable of it yet. I, I phileo love you. Jesus again says, then tend to my lambs. Then in verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And this time, he did not say agape love. He said phileo. He's like, all right, Simon. You can't agape love me right now. But can you just phileo love me? Simon, I'm going I'm to meet you where you're at. You're, you're not capable of coming this far to get to me, which is agape love, so I'm going to reach down to you. Can you phileo love me? And Simon responds, and he goes, yes, Lord. Yes, I love you, phileo. I can meet you there. I can do that, but I, I can't get to agape yet. I'm not capable of it yet. My relationship isn't strong enough yet. I'm not strong enough yet. But I can meet you there. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. You notice that Jesus asked him the same question three times. And you notice that Peter denied Jesus three times. The purpose of this conversation was that Jesus would let Peter know that, Peter, I know what you have done, okay? I know that three times you denied me, okay? I know that three times you 
said you didn't love me perfectly. And I know, Peter, that you don't love me perfectly. I'm aware of that. I know that you don't agape love me. I know. I know that you're not perfect in your love and seamless in your love because you failed me. But Peter, I want you to know something, okay, Peter? I'm not done with you. Our relationship is not over because you failed me. I'm not going to leave you because you can't agape me. I'm not going to say, well, then I'm out. Because you're not perfect in following me and you failed me, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to reach down to you where you are and I'm going to help you. And maybe through work we can get to that agape love. But I know where you are and I'm okay with it. Come as you are. Come to me as you are. And then we'll work. And then the craziest thing happens. He says the part about feed my lambs. You might be like, why is Jesus talking about lambs? Like, does Jesus have some pet lambs that he needs to go take care of for Jesus? Like, all right, Peter, as punishment for denying me three times, you got to watch all my, my lambs. Okay, you got to watch Fluffy, Fluffball, Cotton Ball, Cotton Face. Okay, you got to watch all of them and take care of my lambs. Okay, you got to feed them, wash them, do the whole deal. Okay? No, he's not what he's saying. What he's talking about is, is actually the church. You see, Jesus had told Peter before, Peter, you are going to lead the church as a shepherd. And you're going to lead the people that will be Christians after I leave. And you will be the head of the church. You'll be the, the lead pastor. And you're going to lead them as in a place of leadership. So Jesus is saying this. Listen, Peter, you remember way back when I told you you were going to be a leader in the church and you were going to, I was going to build a church on top of you? Well, guess what, Peter? That is still happening. I know that you denied your faith. I know that you messed up big time. I know that you rejected me three times even knowing who I was. But guess what, Peter? I'm not done with you yet. I'm going to use you, Peter, and I'm going to use you to lead the church. Think about that. He's using somebody who denied him three times, and he's taking that person who was a failure and he's saying, hey, I know you failed big time, almost as big as you possibly could have, and I still love you, even though you don't love me perfectly and you failed me. And guess what? Not only do I still love you, not only do I tolerate you, not, not only am I not done with you yet, but I'm going to use you in the future, and you are going to lead my church. You're going to lead it. Did you know that one month later, Peter would be standing in public in Jerusalem, the very city where Jesus was killed, the very city where he was afraid to talk to a middle school girl because he thought he might get killed. Okay, He's in that same city. He's in front of a crowd of thousands of people publicly. And he goes, Jesus Christ is alive. I was one of his disciples. And I want you to know that if you believe in Jesus Christ and you repent of your sins, you say, God, I'm sorry I've sinned. Please forgive me that you can be in heaven forever with Jesus. Repent of your sins. And three thousand people got saved and became Christians in one sermon. Three thousand. That's like Simpson Middle School times two, all of the students getting saved. That's like Smarts Mill and Simpson combined in a general assembly with all of them, and every person in the schools becomes a Christian. How awesome would that be? You'd be like, this is the greatest day ever. Leesburg will never be the same. Well, Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, shares a sermon in three thousand people become Christians in a moment. Yet a month ago, he was crying on a beach because he thought God could never love me. 
God could never use me. I've messed up so big that God's done with me. And Jesus is saying, listen, Peter, not only am I not going to banish you, but I'm going to use you for a great work, for a great purpose, for a great reason. Now, I kind of am trying to put this in perspective, what this looks like. And imagine with me this. I, I used to play football for Loudoun County High School. And when I played, I was terrible. I mean, terrible. I was just the same height as I am now, okay? Imagine me if I lost 70 pounds. 70, okay? 70 pounds lighter. Then imagine me with a football helmet on, okay, and pads, and being that skinny. My arms were like toothpicks. My legs were like toothpicks. And then I had this huge head and a helmet. I looked like a watermelon on a toothpick. Or like a straw. I was like, Ugh. I was kind of like top heavy. And I played football. I was terrible. Miserable. I couldn't, I was a def uh, defensive end and tight end. And I couldn't play to save my life. And one time before uh, a game, we were doing a drill where you would run out and you'd catch the ball. And the, the QB would warm up by throwing to the guy. Well, he threw me 10 passes in pregame. I dropped eight of them. This is warm-ups, okay? This is not him, like, rah, chucking the ball. He's just like, all right, cool, playing catch. And he'd throw it to me, and it would just hit my hands and hit the ground, and then I'd go, oh, I should squeeze when the ball comes. Yeah, good idea. Stupid hands, stupid hands. I'd go to the back of the line. My coach got so angry at me because we're trying to, like, intimidate the other team. Like, yeah, we're coming out here. Check out how awesome we are, like how big we are, like getting hyped for a game. And here I am, like, uh drop. Oh, no. I, dro I dropped football. Uh, football drop. I dropped it again. And I'm dropping the football. My coach gets so angry. And he goes, Phillips! And I go, oh, yes, coach? And I run up to him. And like my head's like lumbering back and forth. Like, yeah, coach? And he goes, sidelines. Go stretch on the sidelines. All of my team is on the field playing football, like doing drills. And I'm over here like, and I'm falling over because my helmet's so heavy. And I literally stretched on the sidelines. And after that, he had me warm up every game with the JV team. Basically, what that means is I was a senior in high school, okay, an 18-year-old in high school, and I was playing with JV because I was so terrible. I was playing with the freshmen and sophomores. That's how bad I was. And I was warming up with them. And I was, like, really tall but also really skinny. And they're like, what are you doing over here, Barrett? And I'm like, uh, nothing. But I was just embarrassed to admit that my coach had banished me. Because I messed up so bad. And my coach was like, Barrett, I am done with you. And to be honest, I don't blame him, by the way. But he, um, he's like, I am done with you, Barrett. You're so bad. Go back to JV. And I was terrible. And I only played in one game for two plays on senior night. And we were up by like 30 points. And he goes, ah, we'll send in Barrett. He can't do any damage. And then after two plays, he's like, come back, Barrett. You're terrible. And I ran off the field. And then I never went back in. It was terrible. You can go, aw. Or you can just go, <laughs> Why did you laugh? All of you laughed. No sympathy. The, the girls are nice. The boys are like losing. All right, but picture this, okay? Shh. Imagine. Now, this didn't happen, but imagine this. Imagine if after abandoning and letting down my team and my coach and embarrassing him, my coach called me over. And just imagine he brings me over and goes, Barrett, I made a decision. And in front of all the other teammates, he goes, guys, Barrett is now going to be our starting quarterback. I'd be like, huh? And all the other players would be like, No. Coach, please, not him. Do you realize how bad he is, okay? He picked up a soccer ball and thought it was a football. Please, <laughs> coach, I can watch this. I can blow him over with a puff of air. And I'm like, oh, and I fall over, okay? Coach, we don't want him as our quarterback. Please, he's going to abandon us. And he goes, no. 
He's going to lead our team to victory, and we're going to win the championship. And they're like, <laughs> Coach, we could throw Barrett's head around like a football, okay? He is not going to be our quarterback. Imagine that. You would laugh at it. Like, he messed up so bad, why would you then promote him and use him as the quarterback of our team? But here is Jesus with all the other disciples and teammates around. And in front of all of them, he goes, hey, guys, I know that Peter messed up three times. I know that. But guess what? I'm going to make him the leader of the disciples when I'm gone. And he is going to go on to lead this group. And you know what? He goes on a little bit later, and he prophesies over Peter. And he tells about the future, and he goes, and Peter one day will die for his faith. He will die for his faith. He will be so bold that he will stand in front of some people who are going to hold his life, and he's going to say, I don't care if you kill me. I believe in Jesus Christ, and I know him, and I love him. And he would get to a place where he would die for Jesus, because that's how strong his faith would go. Jesus could have looked at Peter and said, you know what? You've messed up. I'm done with you. Get out. He could have looked at him and said, you have messed up so greatly, I literally don't even want you to touch the football, if you will. I don't even want you to be a part of ministry, if you will. I want you gone. And he looked at him and goes, hey, you know what? Guess what? Guess what, Peter? Look at me. Look at me. I still love you, okay? I know you don't love me perfectly. I know you mess up, but we can work on that. And Peter, I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. I will redeem you and use you to do mighty things for my kingdom. Mighty things for my kingdom. Now, why do I tell you all this? I tell you this because the truth is, all of us don't love God perfectly. All of us can't say that we perfectly agape love God. And if you say that, you're just being wrong. You say, I love God a lot, and that's good. But none of us perfectly love God. And all of us, even if we're Christians, sin a lot. We make mistakes all the time. Even though you know better, you're going to go out and you're going to lie even though you know you're not supposed to. You're going to go out and you're going to sin even though you're not supposed to. You're going to say words you know you're not supposed to say. You're going to hate people that you know you should love. You're going to say cruel things. We're going to make mistakes. But focus with me here for just a second. When you make mistakes, because you might look at your life and be like, I'm not being a Christian the way I should be. I know that I should be reading my Bible, and I'm just not. I know that I should be more serious, and I'm not. God, I'm looking at you, and I know I'm supposed to love you this much. And to be honest, if I'm real, this is how much I love you. I don't feel worthy. Or maybe even you mess up so badly that Satan is whispering in your ear, man, you are done. God is done with you. He wants nothing to do with you anymore. You have messed up in such a big way that God could never use you to do anything great. God could never want you to be in his church. You are so embarrassing to God that he wants to hide you in a corner. But that's a lie. Because Jesus is looking at you and he's saying, listen, I know you're not a perfect Christian. And in fact, not only do I know that now, I knew before you even became a Christian that you would make mistakes. I knew before I even died on the cross for you all the things you do bad, and I still say, bring me, all, bring me the cross. I'll die for them, even though I know they're going to make mistakes. He looked at you and said, I know you're going to lie. I know you're going to cheat. I know that you're going to do wrong. And I still love you. 
And I know that you don't love me perfectly, that you're down here when you should be up here. But guess what? That's okay. I'll meet you where you're at. I have so many people that come to me who aren't Christians, and they'll be like, well, once I get my life right, then I'll come to Jesus. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. You need to come to Jesus, and he gets your life right. You can't fix yourself without Jesus, and you can't be good enough to earn Jesus. I'm like, listen, even if your love for Jesus is like down here, okay, even if your faith for Jesus is down here, come to Jesus and be like, Jesus, this is what I got. This is how much I love you. This is how much I'm obeying you. Help me. And I'll go, that's okay. I can work with that. Wherever you are, I can work with that, and we can improve together. And you're like, Jesus, here's how I messed up. I made a mistake. And Jesus is like, that's okay. We can fix that. We can work on that together. I'm not done with you yet. I'm not quitting on you yet. And then not only does he say, I'm going to forgive you, not only does he tolerate your presence, because you know how some people can just tolerate your existence on the planet Earth? They don't like you. They don't talk to you, but they're just like, yeah, I can, I can tolerate you sitting next to me at lunch, but don't talk too loudly, or I will be angry at you, or I will banish you, okay? Just do, don't bother me. Kind of like I am with my parents' dog. They have a little dog named Napoleon. He's the worst dog in the world. And I say that loving. No, it's not lovingly. I just say that, okay? He's the worst dog in the world. He bites, he's growling, he's mean, okay? And he can sit next to me, and I look at him, and he looks at me, and he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you're good for now. And I just tolerate his existence on the planet in that moment. I allow him to reign on the couch next to me as long as he doesn't do anything. Otherwise, he's off the couch. God doesn't look at you like that. He doesn't just tolerate you. No, he takes you like I would take the dog, which I don't often, and then hold it close, and he cuddles us, and he loves us, and he brings us into him, and he's like, no, no, I want a part with you, and I want you to have a part with me. And on top of all that, he wants to use you. He wants to use you for his purposes and for his glory and for great things, because what will happen is Satan will want you to look at yourself and go, you're not great. You don't love God enough to start a Bible study. You don't know enough about the Bible to share with your friends about Jesus. You can't start a debate. You don't have all the equipment. You don't have the knowledge that you need. You, 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 you can't be somebody who lifts your hands in worship. You're not holy enough to do that, to sing loudly. You don't have a good enough voice. And Satan will try to push you down and make you think less of yourself. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I know what you are. I know you have a terrible voice, but I call you to sing louder. I know what you know about the Bible, but I still call you to share it anyway. I know who you are. I know what you've done wrong. I know what you're going to do wrong, but I have a plan for your life. Let me use you because I'm not done with you yet. I will not be done with you. And as long as you will have me in your life, I will be present beside you. And even when you're angry at me or feel that I'm not there, I will be with you. There will be times in your life where you sin or you make a mistake and you think to yourself, God could never use me. And when God asks you to do something great or mighty for his kingdom, in the back of your head, Satan's like, but don't you remember you did this? But don't you remember you did this? And you need to tell Satan, well, don't you remember Jesus did this? He died on a cross. He crushed your face into oblivion and he set me free from my sin. And he took Peter, who denied that Jesus even existed, and he saved 3,000 people through his ministry, started the church, which is still reigning, and has millions of people across the globe that's a part of it. So if we can do that with Peter, he can help me overcome my mistakes. Don't you dare tell me, Satan, what I can and cannot do. Because if God is with me, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. 
Do not allow him to minimize your impact for God. Do not allow him to lie to you and tell you you can't do great things for God because God has called you to do great things and his power dwells inside your chest. He dwells inside of you. And we have no reason to come into this room and be ashamed of our sin. Now I can just take it to God and be like, God, I sinned. Take it. I'm done with it, okay? I'm going to move forward. We don't need to be ashamed of where we are in our faith. I mean, no, no, no. You've got to start somewhere. I went with a friend of mine to the gym. And we walk in there, and my friend wasn't that big. My friend was pretty skinny, like I used to be, actually. And, you know, I, I, you know we walked in there, and he's like, ah, oh, dude, I just I don't belong in here. I'm embarrassed to be in here. And I'm like, bro, dude, every guy in this gym, because they have these big guys like this, they have their chest up to here, and they got biceps. I'm like, yeah, dude, what's up? Just going to lift this weight over here. Wow, 800 pounds, no problem. I mean, he's lifting over here, and my friend's over here like, eh taking like two picks with two like, you know, lifesavers on either end. And he's like, you know, we're going to He's like, I don't belong here. I'm like, listen, dude, every person in this room started somewhere. But you got to start somewhere. And then you work your way up. It's the same way with Jesus. Some people think, well, uh, no, no, no I, I'm not bigger. I'm not strong in my Christian faith. And Jesus is looking at you like, look, I don't care if you're holding the two pick with two lifesavers on either end. Start somewhere, and I will work with you, and you will get stronger in your faith, and you will get there, but you'll never get there if you don't start. And I will never quit on you, even if you fail, even if you make mistakes. I can use you to do incredible things, but you have got to realize that I'm not done with you when you make a mistake, and that I know where you're at. I know your level of love for me. I know your level of obedience. And I'm okay with it. We're going to get better together. Trust me. This story of Peter should not discourage us. It should encourage us. That God can forgive you. That he does love you. And he can use you regardless of your mistakes. Or of your level, if you will, of maturity or faith. I'll close with this. Um, When I was in college, um, I had a group of guys come to me, and uh, they were like the leaders on our hall. I went to Liberty University, and they came to me, and they said, hey, Barrett, uh, we want you to be a prayer leader. And a prayer leader was somebody who led a small group of about five guys. And all the guys that would have been in my group were older than me. I was 19. There was a 20, I think it was four-year-old. I I don't know that number exactly. 24-year-old guy who was an ex-army vet. He had literally served overseas for the army. Okay, there was a guy who didn't even believe in God. And then there were three other people who were all older than me. And they said, we want you to leave this Bible study with these five guys. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Listen, I don't know that much about the Bible. Okay, I'm 19. This guy served in war. Okay, I served in the cafeteria before. Okay, helping pass out food. Okay, I I literally, I cannot lead these guys. I cannot lead a Bible study. I'm not worthy of this. I can't do this. Okay, my level of how proficient I am and understand the Bible isn't that high. I don't have that much maturity. I can't do this. And I went to bed that night. I could not sleep. Because God was like, no, Barrett. I'm asking you to do this. And I came up with all these excuses why not to. But, but God, like, I, I don't know the Bible that good. And he's like, I do. I'm like, dang it, he's right. He wrote it. Okay, well, but, but God, I came up with all these excuses. I'm like, but, 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 but God, they're older than me. And he's like, so what? Why does that matter? right, he did use David, who was a little boy, to kill a giant when a bunch of adults wouldn't even do it. 
And I'm like, but, but, but God, I don't have the time. And he goes, you got all the time in the world. And I'm like, dang it, he's right. I do play video games a lot. All right, and I'm like trying to come up with these excuses. And he's like, Barry, I want to use you. And so I did it. And I loved it. I loved teaching the Bible. I had no idea I could do it before then. It was terrible the first few times. I'll be honest. I was like, so the, turn in the, the read, read the Bible. Uh, and so, you know, that was like my devotion. And they were terrible the first few times I taught. And it was just five guys and I was nervous. But God grew me over time. And I had no idea that he could use me to do what I'm doing right now. Teach like this. But God wanted me to see that he can use me wherever my level of knowledge is about the Bible, or wherever my level of maturity is in my faith, to do great things. And I don't say that. I hope that's not prideful to talk about that story. It's actually kind of embarrassing. But I want you to be encouraged. That God was not done with you if you make a big sin or mistake. That God doesn't look at you and think you're not good enough for me to use. He can use anybody for His purposes. But they have to be willing. And Peter, after the story, would be willing. And he would be used in a mighty way by God. I am excited to see in the years to come how many kids will come back to me and talk to me about how they're walking with God, about the things that they have accomplished for the kingdom of God, or the way that the Lord has used them, the godly women and the godly men that they've grown up to be, and who they've become. I was actually at LA Fitness just this weekend. And I ran into a middle schooler of mine. Well, not a middle schooler anymore. They're in high school. And I was shocked. I'm like, oh my goodness. You are so nice. And you love Jesus so much. And you're so following him. And you're like an actual, like, adult. And I, I, I just couldn't believe it. I actually didn't even recognize him. I'm like, Barrett. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, it's me. And I'm like, who? And I literally didn't even recognize them because they've grown so much and look so different. But I was so encouraged that God can grow you guys into men and women of God. It doesn't happen overnight, but it can happen. Don't doubt the Lord. He will never be done with you, and He has a great purpose for your life. Let's pray.